0: Bondzilla presents King Kong. Each week we dive into the world of King Kong. This week King Kong gets an artificial heart and falls in love with a Lady Kong. It's 1986's King Kong Lives. everybody welcome to bonzilla presents another brand new episode entering your ear holes i am nick i'm will and uh yeah we're back on the mic once again uh continuing on with the king kong saga uh as we make our way uh, we're approaching we're, we're on you know we're on the kind of pathway to the end of this kind of mini arc of king kong that we have here so uh, it's going to be very exciting to kind of get into kind of this last sort of set of King Kong films.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. Uh, before we get started, we we do have uh, an episode today, uh, King Kong Lives, which there's surprisingly both so much and so little to talk about with this one, which is going to be very interesting. Uh, I did want to mention um, the... Uh, recent passing of Charles Grodin, who we, we got the pleasure of talking uh, about. So this was
1: crazy because it was just funny, not funny, obviously, but it it was just so the timing of it was just surreal Mm -hmm. because we just got finished. It's like, I'll let well, I'll get back to what you were saying. And I have like kind of like a history with, uh, with Grodin, mm-hmm. um, just as a, I as an actor in a very particular way, but it was just such interesting timing mm-hmm. that we had just spent an episode um, not too long ago, revisiting a work in which he was like such a highlight mm-hmm. in the movie. And he was just so good. And then the fat, and then to follow it up with like, you know, his passing, um and then you know and then see all like the love for him come out obviously um it did make me want to go back and revisit some Grodin uh classics
0: yeah so I was going to say that like we we had the pleasure of of talking about him on this podcast through King Kong 76 which he is a you know we 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 sang our praises for him throughout that episode even in, in in the in the lead up to it um but you know i just wanted to kind of mention it because he is one of those like he's kind of almost an actor's actor he's an actor that a lot of actors love because of just he could really go into many different types of roles you know he, he kind of had his had his edge of comedy but you know he kind of just got his his action comedy with midnight run and his more comedic stuff more specifically with the great muppet caper and beethoven obviously um you know my history of him I mentioned in that episode uh, is with the Great Muppet Caper as he's the villain in that movie and and the Muppets have always been uh, one of the other franchises I've toyed with you know doing as part of this Bonzilla Presents sort of thing and if we ever get to do it if we ever do get to to talk about the Great Muppet Caper that'll be just another movie where I sing the man's praises because he's so funny in that movie but it's just like you know I I really thought it was really neat as you said to kind of see you know. Him talked about a lot uh, after his passing, and just the many different roles that are memorable of his. You know, maybe he was never the biggest star in the world, but he was such a memorable presence in all the movies that that he that he chose to uh to to act in. So I just wanted to kind of mention it, and you can kind of you know say your bit uh, about uh, Grodin if you'd like.
1: Yeah, I, I grew up with him. I, I grew up on the Beethoven movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, specifically the first two. Mm-hmm. Like that was like the one where it was just, the VHS was just always running. It was such like a kid's background movie. Um, and I haven't watched it re- recently, but what from my, I have enough memories of it. It's like, oh, it's like a solid dog family movie. You, mm-hmm. know, you know what I mean? Um, but I, one thing that stood out to me was Grodin like even to this day like when I'm like because when I started seeing him when I was older in things my reference point to him was like oh he's the dad in Beethoven mm-hmm. and you know from a certain point of view you could say like oh well you know there are other kind of you could argue more prestigious things that you know are more notable things and, and those things have come out as people have been like you know um you know, singing his praise uh, since his passing. But I have to say that role as the dad in Beethoven in a movie like that is the the amount of good that he is in that is nothing to sneeze at. Absolutely like, not. That is a very specific, because it's easy just to be like the, whoa, like, oh my God, I'm the dad in this movie. He was so good as just the put upon the world is 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 crashing around him dad but also like feeling like a genuine dad and not strictly an archetype mm-hmm. but like just so fed up with this dog like a foil to his dog it, you would uh you would relate to this um but the it, it's very similar to the praise we give for um uh gleason in the peter rabbit movie. Yeah. That's where right. he just plays such he, he just plays the human foil in a kid friendly movie like yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. Um without it feeling like, oh, I'm just like an actor phoning it in as like the human character in this. So it's very similar to that. Like it, it it's no small feat to really stand out into be as good as you are. Because it's not like a deep acting role, but it's definitely like a performance role that always stood it was a highlight of my childhood uh growing up so that was always my um my reference point to to him and then like seeing him and uh you know the king kong movie we talked about was great um so uh yeah so you know the timing of it was very odd but that that is kind of my appreciation uh for him uh elevating a thankless role to just like a really fun family friendly performance
0: yeah and and again it was really nice to to see just all the praise and again the varied praise you know through of the various roles throughout his career and he so. is
1: good and he is good in the in the muppet caper too like, yeah he, well,
0: he's very uh, just mm-hmm. his 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 he sells a romance with miss piggy more than than any other human actor really could mm-hmm. i i will give him i will give him all the credit in the in the world for that so
1: and that's what's interesting like and that's why I do want to kind of go back and maybe watch some of his like not you know blockbuster family-friendly things Mm -hmm. um but that is one of the things i always appreciate that about an actor where they are able to really really perform in both you know whether it be adult fare like or mature fare and family-friendly fare you know what i mean so it's like you know i'm sure he's great in these other things but the fact that he can basically be interact with the Muppets and interact in this dog movie or, you know, bring such personality in the, in a King Kong movie. And it never feels like, you know, he's just like an actor coming in and doing a bit. Yeah. Um, is, is something to um, recognize.
0: For sure. For sure. And yeah. And, 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 like, you know, like, again, like I think he, you have these roles like great Muppet caper and, you know, um, Beethoven, and then you also have like you know Midnight Run, where he's 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 right up against Robert De Niro, and mm-hmm. he, you know he's trading acting chops with with one of the greats of all time in, at like the height of his career, and he's he's super fun and super funny in that movie too. So I just thought it would be nice to kind of mention, just you know, we, since we were just talking about him a couple episodes ago, it just I think it, it, he deserves sort of a a little eulogy here at mm-hmm. the beginning of this episode. No, absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Um, and and uh, with that, I think we can just start heading in uh, to today's movie uh, and, and the production of our 80s Kong film from 1986, King Kong Lives, the sequel to the 1976 film. Are you ready to talk mm-hmm. about this movie? All right. So we hop back. Let's just review real quick. We hop back 1976, 1977. The King Kong remake by Dino De Laurentiis, produced or, uh, you know, distributed by Paramount, is a big financial success with middling uh, reviews, basically kind of mixed reviews, though it did kind of lean like slightly positive, maybe 60% or so. In the immediate aftermath of this success, the De Laurentiis family does immediately consider some sequel ideas. There, there's just a kind of a, a whole bunch of pitching going on within the De Laurentiis offices because while Paramount did you know, distribute the film, it's the De Laurentiis group that owns the actual film itself and will own the rights to a sequel, and they don't have to go back to Paramount. So they just start kind of developing certain sequel ideas on their own. Some ideas that do pop up are King Kong in Russia, King Kong in Africa, King Kong in space because, you know, Star Wars was just coming out. We have to hit the King Kong in space thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bionic Kong, which was, you know, basically more robot than Kong. and He's more machine than Kong now. Yes. And then one thing you'll appreciate is there was a versus film pitched at De Laurentiis Productions, Mm. which would have been King Kong versus Orca. As in Orca, the the Jaws ripoff sequel that came out in 1977 from Dino Ento's productions, that, w- um, okay. that would which, great. which died in the water when Orca flopped, but basically all no the pun intended. Yes. But, but essentially all these sequel ideas died once the final decision on this, you know, lawsuit from the previous year had been made and that the Cooper family actually owned the rights to King Kong. And then in, within 1977, the Cooper family sold those rights for future Kong projects to Universal. So now the De Laurentiis team and, and Dino De Laurentiis was like, well, we're not going to just go and make a deal with Universal. We were just in this kind of big war, this, this lawsuit war with them. We're, we're not on good terms. This is not going to happen. De Laurentiis decides to move on to other things, which eventually becomes, you know, what sci-fi thing was he going to do, which eventually became Dune, which, you know, we'll talk about that actually in a little bit. So, now that the the Kong rights are seemingly with Universal, if you remember as well, Universal had this deal where they had 18 months, you know, to do a movie, their own King Kong movie, which was going to be called The Legend of King Kong, which would have released, you know, if, if by the seventy six release date, would have released sometime in 19, you know, late 1978. So, we're not talking about a Universal King Kong movie just yet. So, what happened? Why did not... Universal make its King Kong movie that was a sentence that made sense so Universal did kind of start to develop their own King Kong movie but they were you know it's one of those things where they had the King Kong rights but you know in their heads they're like well what can we do that the 76 version didn't already do so they kind of debated a couple different ideas but eventually they're like okay well, what we're going to do we're going to let That 76 film, that DeLaurentis film kind of get out of people's heads. We'll take a couple years. We'll kind of slowly develop some Kong ideas and then we'll make a big splash and do our own Kong movie. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just take a couple years break. We'll like, let's just, let's just kind of figure out what we got to do. No rush. We have these rights. Now we have these rights in perpetuity. Let's just, let's not rush this thing. Universal obviously has other kind of big franchises, other big projects that they're working on. You know, they're working on more stuff with Jaws, working on all this sort of stuff into the early 80s. And the King Kong stuff is always kind of in the background. It's always something like we have, we'll do something with them eventually. There's, again, no rush. We basically got this rights on, I'll write these rights on the cheap, essentially. So let's just figure it out. And they're very much like we have King Kong. This is our thing. And nobody else can have him. They're very, you know, aware of, you know, the other interests, especially, you know, with the Laurentiis production. So they're, like, very interested. Like, we're not having anybody else. No one's can touch this. Which is why, in a little detour that's actually a very important moment in, in kind of King Kong history. And, and really pop culture history, if I'm being quite honest. Universal puts out another lawsuit to sue Nintendo for Donkey Kong hmm. Because basically the head of Universal at the time was essentially like looking at this uh, thing, uh, Sidney Steinberg, same person who ended up buying the rights. They're kind of looking in the 19, early 1980s and they see this Donkey Kong thing and they're like, wait a minute, that's a giant monkey. We have a giant monkey. They can't do that. And then they're like, OK, well, we're going to, you know, maybe we'll do the video game thing. So they can't they can't make a gorilla video game because we're going to make a gorilla video game basically universal was playing this very much like we're the big boys in town these guys they don't know what they're doing we're just going to basically push them around they're going to give us what we want so to the point where universal actually starts going with Nintendo's licensed partners like coleco and basically saying like you know we're we're on a lawsuit so don't do anything don't do anything with nintendo and Nintendo, you got to remember, now we know them as one of the biggest companies in the world. But at this point in time, this is their first step into the American market. You know, we're talking about 80 to 82 here. This is their first game. This is their first step into the American market. This is sort of after that initial, you know, video game crash. So it's like, what's going to happen? But Nintendo is very confident. Like, no, you know, we, we have just as much rights to this. There's no way this is a King Kong thing at all. So they go hard. They hire a lawyer named John Kirby Uh, and John Kirby basically makes like the, the argument to end all arguments against universal. He's basically saying you have no right to like talk to our licensees. That's, you know, that's not your right. You five years ago were arguing, Hey, the King Kong rights are in public domain. Now you're arguing that you own the rights. So this exact same lawyership team is doing this. And third of all, there's nothing to do with either of these things. Donkey Kong and King Kong are two completely different things. There's no thing that's similar to them, except there is a monkey in them. Like, there's there's no reference to the island. There's no reference to any of the characters. And the other thing that the judges in the case... So basically, the judges are like, Universal, you fucked up. This is a really bad lawsuit. And then the judges are like, well, Universal, the other thing about this is, yes, you own you have these rights to King Kong for future use, but you don't have anything King Kong in your library right now. You don't actually own anything that's King Kong's been in because RKO tire still owns the original film and De Laurentiis production still owns the 76 film. You have not used your King Kong, you know, your rights to use the King Kong franchise. You have, you don't have anything to protect at this point. You, you don't have anything. So universal, is essentially flat out embarrassed in this lawsuit. They were the big boys, they were the big guys being like, we're the big American boys. We're gonna bully around this small Japanese company. And Nintendo basically took it up basically like, you know, took it to the jugular. and Universal like legitimately was a laughing stock around Hollywood just for this lawsuit because it was an embarrassment of how badly they got owned in court by, again, this relatively new kid on the block. And like, this was a big deal because Nintendo now had this confidence that they could stick with the American market and really stuck with it. And of course, Mm it became a huge deal. Meanwhile, Universal is basically like so embarrassed by all of this that they're like, okay, like, let's just not talk about Kong for a while. Let's just not, let's not touch that. Let's not, let's just put it in the vault. Let's, we'll do something someday. Let's not, let's not do it. Like the only thing that Universal eventually does up until we get that 2005 film is their, their growing theme park division decides to use some Kong ideas for their studio tour in Hollywood, but they eventually base it off the 76 film. So even then it's like mostly like Universal's just like, okay, we're done with Kong for a while. We, we, don't, we don't really care about this anymore. They're just too embarrassed. So meanwhile, while that's going on, What's going on with Dino De Laurentiis now? Dino had had his big success in the in the seventies and had his big success with, um, you know, King Kong and uh, some of the other stuff that he had done in in Italy. But since King Kong, he had he had basically been on a, a losing streak, to sort of say. He had produced Dune which, you know, was a big, big flop. He had, you know, gone to do Flash Gordon, which was, you know, not, you know, as we talked about, not really a uh, a success either. But um, Dino was always like, Dino was one of those producers we've talked about. It's just like, okay, he's just got to move on. He, he has the confidence in himself that he he's going to find that next big thing. There's no, no sweat, no worry about it. So due to some... Some stuff with he produced the Stephen King movie Firestarter. North Carolina Governor Jim Hunt allowed uh, De Laurentiis to take over a warehouse in North Carolina for some film production stuff. And De Laurentiis used this alongside another acquisition when the De Laurentiis group acquired the Embassy Pictures line from Coca Cola which I'm figuring out by doing all this research, by the way, that so many of these early film companies got sold to really weird things. Like RKO got sold to a tire company. This embassy pictures got sold to Coca-Cola, but eventually all this is that De Laurentiis has North Carolina production studio. Now he has kind of a library with embassy pictures and like a, an actual production company within his like kind of holdings. So De Laurentiis decides to actually start his own production company, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. And De Laurentiis' whole idea with this is that, well, before he would always be kind of this independent producer and he would just come up with an idea. He would, you know, make a distribution deal with some studio and only get a part of the profit. Where now with the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, he could produce whatever he wanted and help distribute whatever he wanted. And he would basically get most of the profits. Most of Hollywood, and especially some people within his own family, thought that this was a big mistake. Because with, you know, when he's like doing this other stuff, like with Paramount or Fox or whoever, you know, there's a lot less risk for De Laurentiis involved that, you know, a lot of the money is being fronted by the studio itself or, you know, the distribution costs, whereas now it was all on them. But De Laurentiis, again, very confident in his own self. So by 1986, he starts this production company and they've got a big first year kind of lined up. They're going to distribute uh, the Transformers movie. They're gonna trans. They're gonna distribute the My Little Pony movie. They're gonna make more uh, Stephen King films with Maximum Overdrive, Manhunter. They got another David Lynch film with Blue Velvet in there. But you know, they're they need kind of their own thing. This is a lot of stuff they've made with deals and his relationship. But he needs like, what's the first big like De Laurentiis production of the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group? De Laurentiis kind of gets this idea is like, well, why don't we try this Kong thing again? You know, he knew that Universal wasn't at all using these Kong rights anymore because they were embarrassed by this Nintendo lawsuit. And they just basically hid the fact that they actually had these Kong rights. So De Laurentiis finally contacts Universal's like, hey, if you're not doing anything with these things, can we do it? Can we use them? Can we do a King Kong movie again? And Universal was just like, fuck it. Go ahead. Whatever. (laughs) Just take them. Take them. (laughs) Use them. We don't care. Which the theme park division was cool with because their you know, King Kong stuff in the studio lot was going to be opening in 86. So it's again kind of free advertising for them. So now De Laurentiis had his big get for his new De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, a sequel to his last popular film, King Kong. Now the problem was, what was the actual sequel going to be? They went back to... Of A bunch of those old pitches, the King Kong in space and King Kong in Russia were, for some reason, two of the top choices. The eventual writer of the film, Steve Pressfield, said there was even one uh, version of the script where there was like Kong befriended like a little kid. And the little kid had to like teach him like, no, Kong, don't step on the cars. You're not you, know, <laughs> they, you can't do that. So he's basically like, you know, Pressfield was like. You know, when he came in and saw all these pitches, he was like... It was an embarrassment, just like all the ridiculous and over-the-top stuff. And, you know, you had to kind of reel it back. Pressfield, you know, and his partner, Ron Chuset, were, were were brought in to kind of like, okay, what can we actually do? And Pressfield started with the the number one thing. Well, Kong died at the end of the first movie. So how is he still alive? How do you bring him back? So basically they're kind of picturing the idea. They start with, okay, at the beginning of the movie, he gets an artificial heart. That's basically number one thing. He has an artificial heart. That's going to be the thing. And again, uh, theme coming up, there's a lot of weird quotes about this movie. A lot of weird sort of like things. And this is one of them where it's like, Dino likes was smoking his cigar. And he basically was like, that's brilliant. I've been wondering for all these years, how to bring him back in a way that people would accept you know, sure, it's a little campy, but it's outrageous enough. An artificial heart that works. That works for the movie. So agreed. But now they needed a story. Now they needed a story. And Dino decides that one thing he wanted to do was he wanted to bring back his director, John Gillerman. And okay, what Gillerman, what story did he wanted to tell? Gillerman was like very much like Dino De Laurentiis in that. He had not really had a success since King Kong. Uh, Gillerman, you know, had, had had a big 70s. You know, he, he did the Towering Inferno. He did King Kong. Uh, but uh, since then, he had done an adaptation of Death on the Nile that was kind of like good, not great. Infamously, he did a version of Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, which was a big, big flop, uh, much like De Laurentiis and uh yeah, uh, Flash Gordon was kind of a big flop. He had been trying for years to get this, uh, Tai Pan, this kind of Chinese legendary story, use it with uh, Sean Connery, that just kept getting in production, you know, production hell. So when uh, De Laurentiis came with the offer of returning the King Kong, Gullerman said, okay, this can be kind of my big step back, you know, to make make the movies that I want to make, and that just like De Laurentiis, the last successful film that you know, Gillerman had made was King Kong. So they're trying to recapture that magic. And it's Gillerman that comes in and talks with Pressfield and they decide, okay, so he needs his artificial heart. He needs a blood transfusion from a female Kong. Okay. So the movie's going to be about Kong and this female Kong. That's our movie. That's our story. And as the story goes, Dino was very skeptical of the idea of a, of a girl Kong. And Pressfield said that Dino said, quote, it's hard enough to accept there's a King Kong, but since he's about to run around for 50 years, he's become a hero, a pop culture hero. No one is going to believe a female ape. And then Pressfield responded, Dino Kong had to have a mother. Kong had to come from somewhere. He had to have a mom. And Dino's like, you know what? You never thought of that. He, there can be a female. I'm a, we're, let's do a female Kong. Again, just very, just strange stuff happening all over this movie. Mm-hmm. Gillerman was ecstatic about kind of doing this Lady Kong. And Pressfield said about the writing of this movie, and, and this is, to me, this is one of the wilder quotes. Okay. Pressfield said, and again, Pressfield is the writer of this movie. The whole thing is a love story between the two apes. But there's also a lot of action and an uplifting ending, although there's uh, some elements of tragedy, as there were in the original. We even give a nod to women's lib with Lady Kong falling for the male scientist. Of course, this is before she meets Kong. I don't know if Pressfield knows what what, what female liberation is. I really don't know if that's what you really needed to say there, buddy. Anyways. So basically, they kind of get this script going about the, the female Kong and the male Kong and Kong coming back to life and all, all the stuff that we basically see in the movie. And this movie is kind of rapid fire. De Laurentiis wants this out for this first big year of his production company, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. So the film was announced in October 1985, uh, alongside with Blue Velvet and a couple of other films at, for, for releases in 1986 would be the first kind of full year. Of of the Dealer Mentis Entertainment Group. And with that, we got, you know, our casting going on. And we basically have, you know, just like with the last movie, we kind of had our three main castings. We have three main castings as well as well. And I'm gonna start with our probably your most recognizable face in this movie. Once again, we are joined in the Bonzilla podcast by one Linda Hamilton. And this is a situation where just again, when you think about where Linda Hamilton is in her career here. This is post Terminator. She has done the first Terminator movie, but also again, people might not know or may forget that that first Terminator movie was not a hit of its era. It was well received and it did well at the box office, but it wasn't like a star making movie for Linda Hamilton. It was just another movie that it was kind of like a weird horror movie that she did. Like Terminator wouldn't get big until Arnold got bigger and Cameron got bigger. And eventually that does lead to, you know, 91 with Terminator 2. But at this time, Ham- Linda Hamilton was still like an actress trying to make her way into like a wider role in the industry. So her whole thing about like, you know, auditioning for a King Kong movie and eventually taking the role is that she said, well, even though her performance wasn't well reviewed, you know, Jessica Lange became a star out of that first King Kong, right? Like she became a star and now she had been nominated for Oscars and had become like a huge, you know, you know, billboard headlining actress. So why not give myself the same opportunity? Later, she said that she was very appalled by the final product. But again, we will get to that. Uh, We also have Brian Kerwin as Hank Mitchell, kind of our adventurer character of the movie. De Laurentiis originally asked Peter Weller to do the role of this adventurer. And Peter Weller had another script on the table called Robocop that he decided to do. And by all accounts was the correct choice. Uh, Kerwin though, is one of those guys who's just a serial auditioner. Like he's never been like the real headliner of anything, but he's just someone where it's like, Oh, you need someone to audition to be, the father in 27 dresses. There you go. That's him. You need someone to have this like two episode arc on Roseanne. That's him. You need someone to be on like one episode, the West wing. That's him. So basically he's just been constantly working since this time. And he is someone who just like, again, just kind of auditioned uh, after Peter Weller said no. And uh, he had this to say about the movie at the time, Brian Kerwin talking about his role. I knew that my name would be up there in the lead, but there was never any question that the star of the movie was the ape. Also, the 1976 movie had such low prestige and Jessica Lange was ridiculed, but then so was Christopher Reeve for Superman. And look (laughs) at the sex success of those two. So I don't worry about the movie. We tried to have fun when we were making the movie without poking fun at it. It's an adult fairy tale and it adds humor. If people think it's a silly piece of fluff and we're all jerks, that's the way it goes. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, good for you. Uh, and then Linda Hamilton had this quote about the movie as well. She said, uh, I'm happy I don't have to get picked up by the monkey and become the object of his desire. I save Kong, and it's nice to play someone who is not hysterical and dramatic and intense all the time. Uh, so they're just kind of like, again, trying to kind of become stars, trying to become things. And like, hey, a new King Kong movie after you know the first one, You know, that was still kind of a star making performance in many ways. And then the last one I do want to mention in terms of our human cast is John Ashton as uh, Lieutenant Colonel Archie Nevitt. Ashton was probably the biggest actor in this movie just because he had starred opposite Eddie Murphy in the Beverly Hills Cop movies a couple years prior. He's always also been typecast as like the hard ass cop slash military man slash government official. So he felt right as home at this movie. Uh, I also should mention that Rick Baker does not return to this movie and does not return to play Kong. Kong is instead played by uh, ape actor extraordinaire Peter Elliot. Peter Elliot is known for playing apes in movies. He played apes in the, a recent Tarzan production up to this time. He would play apes all the way through kind of these Planet the ape sequels and through basically like the, the Dial and Doctor Renault, like every kind of... Uh, ape thing you could think of he even was a choreographer of apes for gorillas in the mist and he was actually i should mention too a legitimate primate scientist like he was an expert in apes so he was kind of asked to be like okay just be an actual ape uh so he played uh, king kong in this movie and lady kong was played by george yasasomi uh, who was someone Peter Elliott had met while, play, while filming like that 80s Tarzan movie. So he just asked, like, hey, do you want to play this other ape again? And George was like, sure. Like, just, it's work. I will take the work. Um, according to the opening credits, Carl Rambaldi does return for the special effects. Although, looking at the end credits and any of his IMDb pages, there's no sign of him having done this movie. So my assumption is is that they credit him because he created the technology for the animatronics and the suits from the original 76, which they do reuse a number of stuff for Kong at least. Um, and he may have had some active role, but again, it doesn't seem like a, according to his own like kind of filmography stuff that he he credits himself on this movie. Um, so the movie is sort of produced throughout 86. And one of the main things that happens in terms of the actual production of the movie is gillerman he is just a mess if i if you remember as well when i talked about uh king kong 76 that gillerman was a very intense director he was the type of director that yelled at his actors and yelled at like, everybody and like was looking for perfection and while in 76 a dealer and his team were able to kind of calm him down this movie gillerman was just sort of he has just sort of lost his kind of directing passion, and it kind of really came out in his own frustration. Uh, Another thing that happened is in that kind of the the Shiva era of his directing, his son had died in a car accident, and that apparently really took its toll on Gillerman, and it really all came to a head here where Gillerman essentially leaves the production halfway through um, and is replaced by a 21-year-old documentary director named Charles McCracken, who's uh imdb only has this movie and uh an additional crew thing for a movie called lost tapes in 2009 so basically this guy didn't really do a lot apparently he was fresh out of film school just kind of like was it within the like kind of like almost an internship within de Laurentiis entertainment and basically it was like thrown in like okay you got to finish this movie He's not credited in the movie, of course, but basically it was an open secret that Gillerman did not uh, finish the movie. And in fact, Gillerman essentially retired from filmmaking uh, after he left this movie. Um, but by all accounts, it, you know, filmed around North Carolina, which is why most of the movie takes place kind of in Georgia, in, in sort of the hilly atmospheres of Georgia and North Carolina, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, obviously a good amount of, once again, on locations shooting But basically, you know, this was the movie that they that they just were trying to make like, hey, we're trying to be a Kong is a good thing for our De Laurentiis entertainment group. Let's put out a Kong movie. There's really nothing more to say about it. Like there's really I would say, honestly speaking, that this is. I would I would say that this is like the least known about like a Kong movie, because even with Son of Kong. You know, we have kind of the mystery about it because of what happened to O'Brien and, and, and Harryhausen's trying to prod what was happening with that movie and sort of its direct connection with the original. But this is just the, one of those. It's just like nothing's really out there about like the actual making of this movie. So um, that's still quite a bit, though. Uh, Yeah. And it's like, I think that was what was most fun about doing this research was kind of finding all the like little twists and turns, like how Nintendo gets involved a little bit and how, you know, sort of like this kind of, you know, this history with, with a big producer like De Laurentiis and, and sort of the, you know, kind of him trying to really reestablish his name as a producer with a movie like this. All right. Well, I think with that, I think it's about time to uh, figure out how exactly King Kong lives and what it means. What does it mean, Will? I don't know. Let's get, let's get into it. It means the horniest King Kong movie. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's get into it. Now, I'm a businessman, Dr. Ingersoll. And my staff is fielding offers even as we speak. Mr. Mitchell. I realize that other universities are interested in
1: your specimen, but we have an extremely urgent need for plasma, for a transfusion.
0: I ain't selling blood, Doc. I'm selling the whole damn monkey.
1: I realize that, and we can negotiate for him later. But right now, we have got to have him here as soon as possible.
0: Wait, him? My ape ain't a him. It's a her. Mr. Mitchell, this is Dr. Hughes, chief of primate research. Did you say your beast is a female? damn good looking one too no we
1: cannot bring a female here
0: what are you talking about
1: sir we are not lancing
0: a hemorrhoid here we're replacing a heart
1: i am well aware of that dr franklin
0: a slightest upset while kong is recuperating oh uh, wait a minute who is that doc i'm warning you i got harvard on the other line get the blood let someone else have the female uh, you're gonna blow the score of the century amy you're exaggerating the danger uh money talks doc We can advance you $10,000. Well, that ain't exactly filling my rice bowl. What if the operation fails? Then another university will have the only living ape. Mitchell, you've got yourself a deal. All right, and we are Back to discuss uh, another De Laurentiis production here on the Bonsilla podcast, a direct sequel to uh, a film ten decades earlier. Sorry, not ten decades, ten years earlier, a decade earlier. Uh, I mean, a couple decades earlier for the original original film, but that's neither here nor there. King Kong lives. Um,
1: so I'm gonna take i uh, am I'm gonna take a guess at this. I think. I think I may, like, well, I'm going to use this term lightly, but I'm going to assume that you didn't love this one based off of we briefly kind of like just kind of our vague conversations pre-recording around it. Um, Yeah. And so and then I think I think I'm going to safely assume that I liked it more than you. Most likely, Yes. But that's still not a ringing endorsement. I want to make clear.
0: Yeah. This was a movie that I used one of your terms for this. And this was a what is this? Like, one of my. It wasn't. Here's the thing it's not necessarily like poorly made in, 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 like, from a visual perspective, I would say, like, still so from an effects perspective, it's not like a bad movie from that end. But just from a scripting perspective, there's like a lot of just missing little details, like sort of like really kind of getting down onto characters and like what they what they want and what they're doing. And it's really just a story where you're just kind of watching it and you're just like, what what is what are we trying to do? What are we trying to tell? In some ways, and this is actually not an insult, it was just kind of a more interesting observation. I don't mean this as an insult at all. This, of all the King Kong movies, sort of reminded me most of like what a Toho movie would be. because uh-huh. it's just just because like this one, especially with the suits, like and especially with the Kongs acting in the suits, definitely felt like a lot of stuff you would see just kind of like the silly stuff that they do in like a like a like a Godzilla movie if like Godzilla fell in love this is sort of some of the stuff they would maybe do at least especially early on I I just I I really just want to talk about this movie because like I didn't really love it but I also I still kind of don't know what to say about it I really don't Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so I don't know I I didn't I didn't really dislike it. I didn't like, I, I didn't have like, it's funny. Cause I heard, I, I'm hearing what you're saying. And then I've kind of seen the other reactions to this, to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's often cited as a low point for like the Kong franchise. Um, and I don't know. I, I didn't, I wasn't that opposed to it. And its biggest flaw is that it's kind of becomes – it's just kind of unremarkable. Yeah. Um, in that, in a lot of ways, it feels like the watered-down version of the first movie. hmm But that being said, I did come out of it – I thought that there were some kind of um, – there was some value – to some of the things that it was doing in the way that like like to me the lowest of these is Son of Kong mm-hmm. to me which is a movie that doesn't really become a Kong movie until like maybe the last 20 minutes and then it's just kind of like haphazardly put together whereas like this one was kind of like clearly it was like the cash grab version it's like sequel yeah but there was like the attempt to do some interesting things that a are were still interesting for the monster movies of his day, and also do kind of have that running theme that I begrudgingly talk about, where it has certain things that you wouldn't see today. Mm-hmm. I so I'm going to be in a position where I'm probably going to defend this movie more so than it deserves. Most but likely, I, I didn't find myself opposed to it in the way that I have seen people be opposed to it.
0: I I think I really do just want to talk about it because I, so I had to watch this kind of twice because story time, this movie is not available anywhere like streaming or easily available. It's never been released on Blu-ray. So I had to get an eBay copy And my eBay copy is, as I've posted the picture on social media, I had to buy this version because I thought it was the funniest, is the one that has the Hollywood video sticker still Mm -hmm. on it. Um, And I kind of watched it like kind of haphazardly just to make sure the disc worked. Cause that's the thing about like again and like in not a, a not sealed copy, especially one that's been at a hot. I've I've been at those Hollywood videos where you get a copy and it's just like suddenly scratched up, and then you take it back. And it's like, well, we didn't know it was scratched up, uh. So I just needed to make sure. So I kind of watched this once, kind of halfway, and then I was like, okay, well, I have to watch it for reals. I just didn't want to watch it that first night that I got it, and. I, I don't know. I guess it's just I really have to talk about it to really get into my feelings. Like, I guess, like, there are, there are things I think that are interesting, ideas that are interesting, scenes that are actually good. Like, I don't think it's a full wash of a movie, especially once you get into kind of the second half. I think the second half actually has some pretty interesting stuff in it. I, I just, I don't know. I just thought that there was a lot of laziness in this movie, too. And I think that's where I kind of took a lot of umbrage with some of the, like, especially some of the character work. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I mean, well, this, well I guess... Well, I this don't know. It. I just... Like, it's funny because my lack of finding anything wrong with it... I mean, maybe it's kind of like saying the same thing. Was like, you know, it doesn't do too much to be mad at. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, but... I, the, I, 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 I guess, like, token, it's not like, Yeah, it's not like... It, it,
1: it, go ahead. By the same token, it, it is one of those things where... It, I did kind of have it, and I was, like, making dinner... And I was making dinner in the middle of it. And I just did that. And I really didn't have any qualms with it if I missed something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really lost track of like, and I, and I do think this is a fault of the movie. Like the fact that like, you know, we have like the military's after them. Because that's just what you do in a movie like this. Yeah. Like, so there, yeah, yeah, there are shortcuts and like the romance is contrived and everything like that. But that being said, there were a few little angles I felt that were interesting with some of the lead characters um I thought that what they were attempting to do with focusing on this Kong relationship was an interesting thing for a Kong franchise
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and and then, even though the the special effects which didn't take that much of a drop. It was just like the quality just took a more on budget approach. Mm-hmm. The commitment to still having like full on scenes with the creatures, telling a story with them was on display here. Yeah. And I will always give credit to them doing that.
0: Yes. Because, would... it,
1: because it's in a way where like when we talk about some of like the worst Toho films, it's like they skimp on even that yeah in in toho that's, films whereas it's like this true. one like i have to admit like it did keep fresh monster stuff at the forefront at all times
0: yeah and i i should say before we get deeper into the movie that this isn't like you know and I, we've talked about it, i don't really get angry at like movies anymore like what mm-hmm. what, what do we say that's like uh, movie movies are at worst hilarious yeah mm-hmm. and this isn't like a thing where it's like, it's not like, again, I'm not putting it on a level of like an all monsters attack type of thing where it's just like the real lowest of the low. Like it's like, it is like a middle of the road movie. It's just like, I really honestly don't know what to say about it. So I guess we'll figure out as we get into the movie, but there was a quality of the movie that I
1: was watching it. And then it, it just reminded me of like B monster movie. Yeah. It's definitely maybe a... for me, I was watching that on like a Saturday night and I had like a drink and I had like my, you know, my food and everything and i was just like enjoying kind of like watching something like if it it, it it had a quality of like oh i just turned on the sci-fi channel for dinner let me watch something like uh, like a creature feature and that's, that's and good...
0: I, I i thought it was fine but for that that's a good point i mean mm-hmm. I, honestly that's a very good point yeah um so just like i think it's time for us to kind of Let's talk about specifics, and we we start off with uh, a recap of what happened last time, as yeah. in the ending of the first movie. Uh, Which let's...
1: I don't know why the recap looks so weird and bad. Like, was it like they pulled like from like a bad negative of the film, or yeah, like, it did, didn't look
0: too sharp.
1: It, it, it was weird. It was like very like I didn't know if they like matted it onto like a different background. It was like super. Did not look good. That being mm-hmm. said, we did just kind of like for, well, no, we didn't watch it. Um, I was saying that we did watch like a restored version of it. But I'm thinking about the Blu-ray from Shout Factory. Which right. we just got well, in, in the mail.
0: Yes, we Plug, did. Uh, non-affiliated. not affiliated
1: Not yeah, affiliated. But Shout I, Factory still rocks, so.
0: It, and it's good. And it's a great set, by the way. It's a great release. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just looking into it, it's a great release. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure the HBO Max version was like really well restored as well. But. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But there was something about when watching this one, it was like, ooh, that's like, that's bad. Right. It's yeah. also funny because you would think like these days because like, you know, rights and, you know, likenesses are so particular mm-hmm. that it was funny to see a sequel that wasn't going to follow the pre- the characters from the previous film yeah. and the recap included them. yeah so like, it's like like Jeff bridges is in this movie
0: yeah and it's just like the the recap is essentially like slightly like like slightly cut but like not really like basically like the end of the uh, 76 version when Kong gets at RoboCop, as we as we called it last time when he gets just obliterated and falls off the the World Trade Center uh so we get that we get that reintroduction then we cut to 10 years later at the so, Atl- Atlanta Institute so you know
1: what's funny is that we're going to get into this whole thing with the heart transplant and that's often cited as like, Oh, like a crazy, like a weird thing. This movie does like, Oh, we're jumping the shark. And to me, that's like, I don't know, maybe my litmus test for like that stuff is different. Like I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. It's like, that's an interesting thing. They're going to do a heart transplant. Yeah.
0: That was like one of my least problems. Yeah. yeah, That's like not not even that basic, that basic concept is like, not it's like, yeah, like that would make sense.
1: But I will tell you what is dumb is the ten year time jump because, mm-hmm. like halfway through the movie, I just kind of randomly thought about it. Was like, is this ten years? Like, why is it ten years? Are you going to tell me that he's been in a coma for ten years? Like, and they just figured out how to do this heart? But ten years.
0: Well, it's just because some movie like that they, they couldn't do a period piece? So well, are you to...
1: are you are you trying to tell me that Linda Hamilton's been working on a on a giant gorilla heart transplant
0: for ten years? Yeah, because she's been with him since day one. They've been with him since they restarted his heart. That
1: you know, I hate cinema sinning's a movie, but that's a little too extreme.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: ten, like why? Like he would be dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. But
0: he's giant. That's that makes, That's, it's that makes a, no sense. Well, basically, he what? is almost dead because we find out that. But why is it ten years? Why? Because the movie was made ten years later. That's it.
1: That's fair. Okay. All right. Okay. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's they just didn't want to be. They still. They just wanted to use you know the modern costumes and everything like that.
1: It is kind of funny. There is a certain thing where it's like oh he died and then it's like um like and then he's like oh wait no he said what's another are, what are i know that's like kind of like a funny thing people joke about a movie but what's like another movie that does that i know the most recent halloween is kind of has a like a not the same thing mm-hmm. but it kind of has one of those where it makes the the ending of the last one funny mm-hmm. because the whole thing is like because for those of you who don't know the new Halloween film, which is also named Halloween, uh, is a retro sequel, which is my least favorite trope in movies today. Yeah, worse, worse trope than reboots or remakes is the erasing all the other ones so you can seem like you're smart. But anyway, so, it you know, this new one, Halloween, which is a sequel to another movie also called Halloween um but they do the thing where it's like all right well at the end of that movie michael myers does like the awesome thing where he like disappears like you know he's like oh my god we killed him and then he look over it's like oh my god he's gone where did he go and then if you skip to this new halloween which is technically a sequel they just been like and later that night they arrested him
0: <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> i heard yeah, i remember hearing about this so
1: it's like it, it so it's not the same but it's the similar where it's like the big thing at the end was like Oh my God! This giant creature died, and the whole and that and the tragedy of that like scars our main characters. But he's actually just been in a coma for ten years, right?
0: Like, and it's like it's even to the point where, like, you know, the whole thing again at the end of that first uh, that seventy six movie is like you hear the heartbeat slowly go down, and then he specifically mentioned like. Yeah, Linda Hamilton's been with him since we restarted his heart after he died. Like, it's basically, they literally, like, restarted the giant ape's heart. But unfortunately, it does seem like Kong is on his way out because, yes, they have built this $7 million artificial heart for Kong, Mm -hmm. but, but he's been in a coma for too long. His blood is too thin, and they need a transplant. And unfortunately, Will, no creature on Earth matches the blood type i'm sorry i just i refuse to believe this
1: took 10 years like i I understand that you know innovation and sometimes you know because of economic reasons things move at a snail's pace but like for it for a thing where it's like all right here's a giant animal that apparently is this university's like top priority right (laughs) because it's like years to make a heart
0: Right. Like, and and it's a thing where it's like, they're like, like we're competing against Harvard and Yale. Like we deserve to be like named alongside them. And this is our big project. And And I
1: know that like the head of the university is like painted as like, he's like the unreasonable, greedy head of the university. But, like, I kind of understand where he's coming from, where he's just like, well, what do you what do you mean he may not make it after this? You spent 10 years making a heart and then Linda Hamilton's like, yeah, well, what do you expect? It's been 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm like, what? (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, so there's like there's no man or ape on the planet that will suffice with blood. Except for this Lady Kong that's on the other side of this movie. That's
0: just around. Yeah. Okay, so this is my – because then we're introduced to uh, our other main character, this adventure guy Mm -hmm. who we just cut to, and he's just on an adventure in Borneo somewhere, Mm -hmm. and he's just, like, has a mule, and he's like, yo, mule, you're tired? All right, I'm going to take a nap. And then he just, like, he gets, he, like, he rests, like, on this pile of leaves, which I'm like, like, what did you expect, like, why, like, how is this kind of, like, he just sits on this pile of leaves and just doesn't question why it's there at all. And then the pile of leaves starts moving, and, like, we see, like, kind of a little bit of the hand, and then we just cut to our Lady Kong, like, just sitting there, like, all of a sudden. And... I guess there's this is one of the things that like kind of one of the things that I kind of like had a commentary on is that there's really like no true character introductions in this movie in terms of like actually introducing the characters to us. Because we first go to Linda Hamilton and she's literally like, listen, I've been on this Kong thing for 10 years, but he's going to die unless we find a miracle. And, like, never at this point are we, like, in, like, you know, I don't we don't need it in this scene specifically, but, like, never in the movie are we, like, interested in, like, why she's been on this Kong case or why she started on this Kong case or why she's still fighting for this Kong case. She's just kind of like, I'm in charge of Kong and I want him to live because it's my project. Then we cut to this adventure guy. We don't know why he's adventuring, what he's looking for, what his deal is. He's just kind of adventuring out in the middle of Borneo and, like, an actual island somewhere. And then even, like, the, the introduction of Lady Kong is just, like, there's no, like, majesty to, like, this introduction. It's literally, like, we see the hand and we just cut to this, like, oh, it's another giant ape. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that, like, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just hard for me to, like, really kind of just get any angle of, like, any of these characters, like, like in who they are. Especially because, like, we'll get to... Another thing about our adventure guy in the second when we talk about the next scene, but it's just like like this movie is just a whirlwind of like introducing like these concepts and just there's no point to me where it's just like we have these actual characters become characters. They're just kind of there to like you know play into these specific scenes and and stuff.
1: I think you've been spoiled by these truck movies we were watching. I think you haven't watched a B hor- monster movie in a while. Here's th-
0: I mean, here's the thing though, I can respect that. Uh huh. But. There is also plenty of like, of like the Toho movies we watch and the other monster movies we watch that do still give some sort of character to at least like something like no, a little li- nugget. Listen,
1: I understand. I'm not trying to say like oh like your expectations are too high. I'm not trying to call
0: that. I but... just want to. I just want a nugget. That's what I want. I want I, I, something. I, okay, I want oh, so right. a I'm
1: gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna offer. I'm not gonna push back, but I'm gonna offer an alternate opinion on, on this. Is yeah. that. I do think, while I agree with you, because there is a level of, like, especially coming off of the last movie. Yeah. Linda Hamilton pops up. Like, who is this lady? Why is she so invested? But at the same time, the character is, is that she's invested in making sure this heart transplant works. So, like, that is the movie's, like, that's, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, like, the shorthand for, like, she cares about this thing, this uh, this creature. But I I, less about her because I would actually give you the point about on her. I actually do want to talk about the Brian Kerwin character Mm -hmm. who I actually did like for this very reason. I thought that you were 100% right that they introduce him as just kind of like a sleazy trying to make, you know, just kind of white guy going throughout like, you know, the jungle trying to like make a big score is like and they yeah. you know that's kind of what they um introduce him as and what i liked that the movie did and actually i think a pretty good bit of character writing is that they slowly start to show that okay yeah this is something he's doing with a big score but he also recognizes that you know oh he's transporting like a giant animal and he's showing Care and affection for this creature. Like he's not just like solely an opportunist that he's like, ah, whatever. It's just a giant dumb animal that they slowly show that he is a guy who is like, okay, this is like a living thing. And he wants to treat it with safety and respect as it goes. And therefore it made it believable when he takes the transition into like, okay, now we got to protect these two creatures. And the fact that he... He does more in the movie technically than Linda Hamilton to make sure that happens in some ways. So I was on board with the Brian Kerwin character as as the film went along. Okay. So I, I will defend that part.
0: I think my thing about it though, I, I, and this is a thing that like, you know, I think I was a lot harsher on this thing than at when I was a lot harsher on this part of it when I was watching the movie than I am now. I will say that. But the one thing I, I kind of was like, cause I, I think you're right. My thing though is like he kind of finds this thing. Then he does the one scene where like, you know, he makes the negotiations. And then the next scene he's like caring for the Lady Kong. And it's like I kind of wanted at least a little bit of a like an in between on some level, either like, you know, like I guess there is though because when the natives of Borneo like shoot it he's like don't kill it don't kill it I guess there is a little bit of that where he kind of cares for it
1: that's but that is what I liked about it because you're introducing this character as I mean it it would be like this and this is kind of just imagine it's like any other animal and yeah is there a level of like ethical issue you can take with this of course yeah but like he's like getting like a rare animal to as like, all right. And he's going to give it to a university and then he's going to get his payday. But then like on the way there, like, it's not like he's just like some guy who's just going to throw it in a cage and not care about it. He's going to make sure like it's nurtured and cared for. So I thought that, yeah, they introduce him as like this kind of opportunist guy. But then that moment when they're transporting and he's like getting in and then evolving into, you know getting like the press away that was like an extension that's how they revealed that the character was something a little bit more yeah and I'm okay. sticking to and I'm sticking to this point honestly because it's probably the only and at least for me well written part of the movie, yeah like I wouldn't give that credit to anything else in the movie, but it was a bit of character writing that I actually thought was nuanced in a way that I think a lot of these movies could just. It could have, it could have even been as simple. He's like, "Yeah, I'm an opportunist and this dumb animal. I don't care." And then he learns. But I like that the nuance that they gave him a little bit of a. Um, I like that that level of detail they gave to the character.
0: You've kind of turned me around on this, I will admit, because the <laughs> initially that problem was has that you like it was like. He went from that scene like where he's negotiating and he's kind of being like the greedy, like I want, like I want my mm-hmm. money. Yeah. And like, I, I kind of initially had an issue where like it went from that and then it cut immediately to them arriving in Atlanta. And like, he's like, Hey, like it's going to be okay. So I was like, Oh, I thought it would have been like, you know, like, is he greedy or isn't he? But I guess you've kind of turned me around. It's like, he really isn't greedy. He just kind of took the opportunity, but he is genuinely a caring guy. So right. Right. I okay. Like, I've, that's like, I've the reveal. okay. I've I tur- agree
1: with you. That when the movie started, I almost tuned out because I was like, oh, all right, this 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 type of chucklehead. Like, I get it.
0: Yeah. A couple things, though, about all this. There's still some things to riff on this. First of all, I just love the 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 contrast where it's like Kong is on this like mysterious island, always surrounded in fog. And there's like a big society around him and there's a giant wall and like. To kill, you know, to like get him transported, they have to like fly in a bunch of chloroform and dig a hole and have like this whole complicated thing. Meanwhile, Lady Kong's just been hanging out on Borneo for whoever knows how long, and no one's ever found her before. There's just no sense of like, oh, like the, even like the natives didn't really know about this thing. So yeah. I guess they're kind of no, over I, there. I, yeah, I, I got I gotcha. you. Yeah, um, you're not, you're not wrong. And then the other thing I liked is so there, there's a whole other scene where. Uh, the Kerwin Brian Curry's character is like he's at a camp and you know he's like getting shaved by like like you know he's just getting shaved by some woman some like native woman of just like you know he's making these negotiations he talks about like uh, hey my my Kong my, my, my monkey's a lady pal I've got a female ape and then Linda Hamilton's like nope we can't have the female ape near him we can't like let Kong you know be near him at all and then you what know, was the reason for that they, they brought this like plot point up
1: several times and it struck me as more of a contrived plot written way
0: it's like, essenti- i mean it's essentially because they like Melinda hamilton's like well if kong gets horny it's gonna cause some problems like that's basically what it is it's like right if, if there's a female in the area kong's just gonna want to like Fuck it, I Which guess. Which seems like a re- – I, listen, I haven't studied
1: animals, but that seems like a pretty irresponsible take. Yeah. When you're, when you're like, it's like, oh, yeah, well, even if it's a female – like, we don't want to get it around another one. Yeah. That just seems crazy. I also
0: like that he's been uh, alone
1: and and isolated and away from its kind 100%. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe maybe I don't know what I'm talking
0: about. Right. So he's like, you know, the this explore guys playing hardball. At one point he's like, "Listen, buddy, I'm I'm getting ready to sell it to Disneyland," which I'm like, "What is Disneyland going to do with this giant ape?" Like like whatever. Like that's a Disney thing. That's not like a movie thing. But
1: it, can I actually that Disneyland comment? I don't know why it reminded me of this, but one of like the interesting kind of weird plot points that doesn't really pay off in an effective way is that now they kind of retroactively like fit Kong into this like he's kind of like an icon like that it's kind of like this niche thing that like eventually when the heart transplant like goes through like it's like on the news it's like everybody's happy Kong made it so it was like it, it, it's just funny like And it's weird because it's not like the last movie kind of had like made a definitive statement on how society viewed him, but it also just made it weirder than, than later on when the army is just like killing, like killing him.
0: Well, I think that the celebration scene from what I read of it was more so like the, the students of the university were like, yeah, we're finally better than Harvard, which I have a lot of <laughs> I have I have a thing to say about that scene, but we got to get to the rest of this. So basically, they make the deal, you know, because there's all this concern. It's like, well, if the heart transplant failed and Kong dies, like some other university will have the only female ape, which I like the, the wording of that, too, where it's like not even like the female giant ape. Like they're going to have the only female ape. What are we going to do? And so they're basically they make the deal to bring in the Lady Kong. It's officially Lady Kong throughout the movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Lady Kong to come in. They're going to give Kong the blood transfusion so they can put in the, the heart. So then they get the big uh, arrival in Atlanta and, you know, the poor Lady Kong, which, by the way, what do you think of the Lady Kong's appearance?
1: Uh, I thought that, um, you know... Kong boobs were something to get over for like the first like five minutes, but I thought it was tastefully done mm-hmm. as it, as it went along. <laughs> yes. Um, but other than that, yeah, no, I thought that it was a decent enough subtle difference. I mean, what I did like about it was like, even though it was like kind of like very subtle body shape and like color differences between the, uh, between Kong and lady Kong. Mm-hmm. um, I I just did like that like when you saw one you knew exactly which one yeah it was it
0: was it was, a, it was kind of a nice kind of design like they give Lady Kong like slightly chubbier like appearance as well it was, yeah. like a light lighter hair color so it and I think like especially when they're on screen together it kind yeah. of worked
1: yeah and well. it, it's funny because like when Lady Kong appears like no they do not as effectively cut between like the big kong hand to the big you know person in a suit like they don't quite effectively do that but the commitment to doing the suit even though it is a more on budget suit than the last suit was Mm -hmm. um was still impressive to me I, I, i thought that they they still it was still fun to to see that um one thing that i did not love throughout the entire movie though is that there is a lot of Kong in distress screaming in this film. Mm. And that I found that very upsetting.
0: Yeah. It's As not pleasant. Animals
1: screaming because of something people are doing is very upsetting to me.
0: It, it, it's very easy to kind of get in that like, like mindset. of like, oh. I,
1: I, it. It doesn't, I do not like it. Though I am an adult, so animals screaming because something another animal is doing, I'm okay with. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, like, it's like whatever whatever floats your boat, buddy.
1: Like, if an animal is eating another animal and they're not enjoying it, I'm just like, hey, that's nature. But an animal, like, basically in the context of this film, like, where it's like the paparazzi is surrounding them and, and she's all wrapped up and it's just her screaming. Like, I, like it's animal screaming, but yeah. I, I find it very upsetting. I do not love it, and they they really um. There's a lot of it in this. Yeah, movie. they commit to it in, in, in the film, but yeah, no, Lady Kong is fine. I yeah. I, I, I definitely
0: well, Lady yeah, Lady Kong is fine. Uh, you know, she's there's kind of like a like the the women's lip thing. Like, hey, he's she's crushing on on him. She's crushing on she's crushing on him for like a hot. Second. I do have,
1: I, I do have to admit though, there were not as many
0: jokes about that as I thought that there were. Going no, to. it's not at all. Like, there's yeah. there's legitimately like legitimately like it's one scene. And then as soon as she like knows Kong like is around, she's, she's all on top of Kong. Yeah. But eventually like, you know, and he's trying to protect her from the press and it's like, you'll get your lady Kong pics. And you know, he's kind of being cute and like being like all jokey with them about like what's, what's what his whole deal is. But Linda Hamilton's all business. And I, ha- I I do have to say
1: that they don't lean into it as much, but there is something kind of fun about them, like going the opposite direction where it's like a lady Kong and, who has kind of a
0: crush on, like, the male lead character. Right, I thought is. that,
1: that, that's, that like, was... Uh...
0: I think that's the thing. It is kind of fun. I don't think it's women's lib, but I think it's fun. Um, no, of course it's not women's lib. <laughs> not at all. I don't know what Pressfield was talking about there. Anyways, so he's kind of being jokey. He's kind of like, you know, I'll protect my, my, my Lady Kong. You'll get your Lady Kong picks at some point. But Linda Hamilton's all business, and it's like, we have... We have the surgery set up. We need to get the blood to him now. So then we're going right to the Atlanta institution where the Kong heart transplant, finally, after 10 long years, takes place. And I thought this was actually a pretty cool little bit of uh, scenery right here. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like mind blowing, but I did like that they added some drama where like the heart almost drops and it's kind of like th- this sort of thing where like, they're all, there's like, it's like seven people like digging into this giant monkey, and like you just see like blood just squirting on them. It's like okay, we're getting ready. We're cutting all the valves. We got to get this heart in ASAP. Um, but then like yeah, there's like the drama where like they like are lowering this like like and it's like a nice like white metal artificial heart. They're lowering it in, and it kind of drops, and everybody's like kind of panicking, and they're like, we got to get it in there, and and Kong's kind of like you know kind of like getting to the point where he's going to flatline so there's there's some there was some cool stuff here i thought uh some of the drama mm-hmm. uh but then so we're getting to scene we mentioned earlier so the the surgery is success and then the and the campus is partying which i need to point out a couple things about just this little like 10 the commun- is it is it the communist flag
1: or no 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 it's not the communist flag it's the it's the um the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag, yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay,
0: so it's, the, it's all of this combined. So it starts off with a shirtless kid in a, in a gorilla mask, popping champagne, while like, babes drive him around in a car. And then there's like, then the news reports like, all right, like uh, uh, like the Atlanta institution has finally rivaled Harvard and Yale as, as, as they've been, the, 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 the King Kong surgery has been a success. Then a guy in a caveman suit comes in and then like another shirtless dude with a monkey head comes in and then this blue like i had to like rewind to make sure i saw this correctly a little african-american kid comes right in front of the camera waving the confederate flag I had to double check. Oh, I, I, I
1: missed that detail. I, there,
0: I had to double check three times that it was him and not some other jackass. But no, and it wasn't the Georgia flag either. I checked that too because I know the Georgia flag at this point did have the Confederate flag on it. No, it was not the Georgia flag. It was a straight-up Confederate flag. Uh, it just blew my mind kind of in many yeah, different well, ways. Well, you know, they got to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> they got to be something like that. And, and then – then after that, this reporter continues his report where they're like, they're converting this weight. <laughs> so until Lady Kong's, uh, uh, you know, permanent headquarters can be built, they've built, th- they've made this weird house into the world's largest ladies dressing room, which I'm just like, all right, all right. I thought that was funny. I yeah, I, I did. Enjoy- I
1: it's enjoyed very,
0: that. it is very like bad, like local news sort of joke.
1: I thought it was a tasteful, female joke i
0: i i I laughed at that Mm -hmm. meanwhile inside the warehouse it's definitely not a female dressing room as, as lady kong is kind of chained up in uh in in distress once again not having a good time of it uh i think next is there's like there's like a party that happens about like hey we were successful about the kong thing but then linda hamilton's like not showing up because like you know she has to you know uh you know keep an eye on kong and he, he, she's like you don't need me at the party you've got indiana jones over here mm. and we cut back to the lab where kong is finally starting to come alive that there, the heartbeat and there is this kind of again night little, little little nice moment where like little hamilton's so excited that like you know her work is finally gone or uh, you know gone good and, and and brought kong back to life And Kong immediately starts ripping off all of his like little like tubes and bandages and everything, and is like basically like jumping up for his female companion. To which one one of the guys there just says, That horny son of a bitch. (laughs) He can smell the female a mile away. And of course, Linda Hamilton's like, This is bad. Mm -hmm. This is bad. We can't have Kong. You know, going into his natural instincts of wanting wanting a female companionship. Which is,
1: it's just so, and this is where, like, just, like, the story doesn't hold up. Where it just seems like, but this is what made things worse. Like, that they were kept apart. Yeah. Which I guess is like, oh, the interference of man and everything. But mm-hmm. th- she never pays for that.
0: No. Also, I like that their detail of, like, you know, selling, like, like you know, Linda Hamilton wears pants because she drives a giant truck. Around and he, you know, like there's the scene later where he, you know, he's driving like this, like really fancy kind of like Ferrari Corvette type of thing. And she just like comes around in her giant truck and it's like, Get in, come with me if you want to live. No, she doesn't say that in this movie. Um, eventually, like, you know, she comes to the party and she's like, Hey, like, listen, we need to get like. Lady Kong out of here ASAP because this is not going to be good news. So they're basically like, it'll take us two days to build the thing. We'll get Lady Kong out of there in 48 hours. Spoiler alert, doesn't go well for them as they're trying to, you know, then we cut to them trying to like drug her so they can transport her. She's not eating any of the food. Meanwhile, some poor security guard has been left alone with Kong in the other facility. And he's just like freaking out when Kong like literally just gets out of all this change and starts like rampaging out of there. Um, you know there's like a whole bunch of stuff where you know they they put Lady Kong in like a, a net and you know our, our, our explorer dude's like no you can't do that Kong just bursts in it's a wild time cars everywhere just this chaos as as Kong and Lady Kong escape and mm-hmm. then then the military shows up mm-hmm. and it's very much like it's very much any sort of bad guy military in any sort of movie where it's just like, they're just very cold and ununderstanding. Everybody put their masks on. I, when we gas those apes, I don't want any of us getting effective. That sort of asshole. Oh thing. yeah.
1: No, it's totally when the movie goes on autopilot. Like it's because very it's much like, so they escape. And then of course you have to have military going after them. Like, like you don't even really effectively establish like a villain who wants to do that. Like it's,
0: yeah, like, the whole thing about John Ashton's character is that he doesn't want to do this. It's, like, busy work for him to the point where, like, later in the movie, he's like, I've been here for two months because of these goddamn apes. And he just wants to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could definitely tell that it was, like, some assignment that he didn't really want to do. But he's, like, a military man, so he's got to follow orders.
1: But, th- but this all leads to probably the area that I would defend about the movie where it eventually gets into all like the Kong lady Kong romance stuff.
0: Yeah. Cause um, yeah. And,
1: and it effectively is just following these two suit performed apes, just being dopey. Love, on
0: a lot of day, like basically on a date. with each other. This is like the stuff that reminded me most of like a Toho movie. Yeah. I thought this it is was a, like kind of cool. Is, and this was watch. kind of the fun stuff. Like, especially for 86 on America, like that, mm-hmm. is, it is kind of neat to see that. Um, it, but
1: it is interesting when I hear people talk about it where they do still give the caveats, like, oh, it's kind of weird and dopey, but like, I mean, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where I always find it funny where it's like, you know, people will complain about like the like modern day monster movies of this nature to be just like action-y and set piece like, you know, blockbuster-y yeah. but then it's like you know, then they go back to this, like something like this, where it really is just like, yeah, two monsters being dopey with each other. And they're like, ah, oh, this is kind of like dumb.
0: I so do think like, I do yeah. think an element to this, though, and it's something that we've kind of slightly explored. And it's something that this kind of Kong series has kind of been about is I think there is also a, a thing, though, when it's like because it's Kong specifically. And I think that people put such a prestige on Kong as like this big part of film history that, like, again, even if they don't know, you know, the original film or, like, the, the details of it, there's such a prestige of, like, it's, like, the original American monster movie. It's one of the greatest, like, movies of its era. And so when, like, you're kind of, like, that's your mindset about what Kong is and, like, like what kind of Kong represents is this, this like, classic Hollywood. And then it's kind of turning into, like, this sort of, like, weird little date Yeah, thing.
1: but, but, but. I'm going but I push back on that because it's No, I think like, it's
0: something I think it is something to push back on. I just think that yeah, that's a, I, a different perspective. The,
1: the reason I push back on that though, it's like but then if the two things are like, well, you're not happy, I'm not saying you have to be, first of all. But if it's like if you don't like it when it's like a blockbustery thing and if you don't like it when they do something like this, then the alternative becomes which you know, I, I guess there's merit to this argument Then the 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 ultimate alternative is that you just can't do anything with it, yeah. which I guess a lot of people would advocate for, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly. But I, I was thinking about this with other like franchises and like yeah. would that involve an icon, whether it be like the Alien or the Predator or any of the horror icons, where it really just seems like if you follow the natural conclusion of all of these different takes, then the real ultimate conclusion is like then you just don't do anything with them. Yeah, which I guess would be an argument some would have. Yes,
0: that's so, very true. That's all very things being
1: all things being equal,
0: but there are you know you're I, I'm gonna say this you're kind of turning me around on this movie a little bit like you are like yeah. what what see this is why I, mean, I, I
1: I I don't I, you know I don't need you to I mean like let me not I, you know I'm not saying like oh yeah come over here on the King Kong live no, love but,
0: like, <laughs> but I think this is why I wanted to talk about this movie because I really didn't know what I like wanted to say about it but like mm-hmm. this this love scene or this date is kind of has some fun little goofy moments because it's like Kong offers Lady Kong like some lunch and Lady Kong's just like, takes some grass from underneath him and like laughs at him. Then Kong presents her with the gift of a snake and Lady Kong's like, get that, get the hell out of here. Like, I don't right, that. right. Yeah. And my, um, and,
1: and then one of my other favorites where he like, she offers to like, you know, kind of put some water on like his wound on his knee but then he kind of like uses that opportunity to cop a feel like it was just like, they like,
0: yeah, it was just kind of funny. It was it was fun. It was just fun. Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, uh, there's also Linda Hamilton and the Explorer guy are like they're kind of like trying to avoid the military because they're like, well, we can't let the military get to them first. We got to get to them first. Then, you know, cl- more classic like like just like kind of jokes about Linda Hamilton being a woman is like she brings out like this giant metal box and the guy's like what is that a makeup bag and then she's like no it's actually a thing that can fix kong's heart from like miles away which i yeah. was like which i was like when she brought it out i was like oh it's gonna be like a tracker because it's like his heart's like metal and like they can put it you up know, there
1: to your credit about like your criticisms about this movie this is one thing i'll pivot off of what you're saying and agree with you on every single individual plot point about this movie just kind of like washes over you. It really doesn't matter. Like, like there's like this whole kind of like, well, Kong's heart is stronger than the, like they say that at one point, like Mm -hmm. it's stronger than the average heart. It's like a, it's like a yogi heart. And, and it's like, um, but then it's like that doesn't play like a plot point at all. Then it becomes like a ticking clock, like, well, we have to fix this. I thought what happened to we have him having like this fun- this strong heart. And then at the end of the day, it's that's not even what gets him. What gets him is that he's just blown away again by military. So right. to your to long story short, it's just funny that like every individual aspect of the plot is completely forgettable.
0: It, it really is. And I think that's really the thing is that I think there are like the more I kind of talk about it. And I think there's more coming up. There are really, again, those individual kind of scenes that I kind of work. But as a whole, it's just like there's so many like just details that just get either pushed away or not emphasized enough to that. Just like don't really allow a movie to kind of like really gel. And so it's just a lot of things just kind of like happening sort of, you know, again, washes away. Cause it, cause it's like, again, like they have this, like, you know, Linda Hamilton has this box. It's like, listen, like this, this like computer can fix Kong's heart. Like, you know, I just have to be in reach and it's like, you know, it's just whatever. His heart's still like, you know, we got to fix it. Even though it's, there's really nothing to ever indicate that there's really anything wrong with him. So, you know, and then they're going on their own adventures where like, you know, Linda Hamilton almost falls into the river off a bridge and then he gets cut up and they're like, you know, uh, you know, he fixes her, uh, Sorry, she fixes him just like Kong, Lady Kong fixes him. So, like, parallels. Uh, at, at one point, like, you know, they're camping. And then, like, that's when uh, the Kerwin's character is like, man, we could build a reserve for them somewhere, either here or in Borneo or on Kong's island, which is another thing I want to point out. None of these movies have called it Skull, Skull Island. I've noticed
1: that, yeah. It's
0: Skull Mountain in the first two. And then, you know... Where is it
1: officially called Skull Island for the first time?
0: I think it's... Is it Jackson's? Does Jackson's I, I, do that? I think it's the Jackson movie. I think the Jackson movie is the first one to call it Skull Island. Interesting.
1: This whole bit in the movie does lead to the part where I'm like, mm. Mm. it's like, okay, this is weird. This is weird when it's just like, you know, they, you know, they, let's just say they consummate, the, the humans consummate their uh, relationship. Linda Hamilton and... um was his name Kerwin? Yeah, a, yeah. They they Brian consummate. Kerwin, Brett Kerwin, yeah. someone there. Yeah, Brian. They they consummate their their relationship, which is fine, you know, two consenting adults and whatnot. But I just thought it was funny that like she presents herself, and then it's like, well, you know we're animals too or something to that nature to that line i'm like "Mm, all right that's a little strange
0: especially (laughs) since you spent so much time preventing these other animals from like naturally getting together and it was just like this is like the horniest this is what i say it's the horniest kong movie ever also we do we get a really brief shot of some linda hamilton boobs too which i thought was kind of like whoa we get a really brief shot
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that was also in Terminator as well. So, you know, she's... That's true. Yeah. So she's uh she she's open definitely. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So the military gas the kongs. And, and, yeah, and then of course, like, then the next morning, it all goes wrong, and then the military kongs military then... gas the
0: kongs, Then the Hamilton and Brian Kerwin get get caught. You know, and they can't prevent it. Uh, essentially, what happens is Lady Kong gets captured, but. Regular Kong, King Kong, like escapes. Not King Kong escapes, but he escapes. But he's kind of like, basically, like he rushes into the river, and Linda Hamilton starts like trying to like fix his heart, like while he's in the river. He like hits his head really hard on a rock, and Kong sinks into the water and bloods everywhere. And you assume that Kong's dead, um, even though like, and Linda Hamilton's up to the end, like on her little. Makeup box, quote unquote, trying to fix his heart from a distance as it's pouring rain. Um, and then we mysteriously cut to like an unknown amount of time later. They don't really tell us how long this has been. Um, where all the characters are off doing their different things. Lady Kong is like kept being kept at this military
1: base. I mean, it was enough time for like Kerwin to go and like travel out of the country. To, like, set up a possible reserve situation. Right. Them. So, like,
0: that's what that's going on. Like, so the military is keeping Lady Kong and, like, she won't eat anything. Something Something's wrong with Lady Kong. Kerwin has, yeah, left the country and he's bought some land in Borneo to be a Kong reserve. Linda Hamilton's back at the hospital and, like, her boss basically gets, uh, like, a, like a, a thing from the Secretary of Defense that allows her to see Lady Kong. And then they go to the base and this is when like the John Ashton character is like, listen, like I've been here for two goddamn months for babysitting this goddamn ape. And like, you know, uh, this thing like hurt mon- some of my men a lot of time ago. Like, I think it's maybe two months. They never really established like what this like the time is or how long this has been. But something's wrong with Lady Kong. And at first Linda Hamilton thinks that like, oh, like she misses Kong and like, you know, she has faith that Kong's alive. Then her boss is like, listen, it took me a lot to get this thing. Kong doesn't get enough protein to survive. It's impossible. It's impossible. And then, you know, Kerwin comes back and he's like, what are they doing to my lady Kong? All this sort of stuff. You know, again, just Mm -hmm. kind of the drama building. But then we do eventually cut to Kong still lives. King Kong continues to live. He's somewhere down the river like in, in the outskirts of Georgia, North Carolina, all that area. Where he's been surviving, just like breaking crocodiles and alligators in half. And Which just... I
1: thought was a fun scene. It was also a scene that kind of like reminded me of what they do in Skull Island, like mm-hmm. Kong Skull Island, where it's just kind of like the day in the life of like Kong.
0: Um, there was a few of those that, that reminded me. of. That. There is something pretty interesting about like just seeing Kong just in the wild, essentially. Um, and, and and i
1: like that because and, and i've heard like some people criticize like this stuff for being like filler and i guess it kind of is but there's also like a level of like it's not like he's making kind of like crocodile kebabs yes which i thought was like fun and interesting it's like oh this is it's always like those little things like that's why you watch king kong as opposed to godzilla
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i i it's kind of like, a, a, I think it's both ways where I think there are some little fun bits, but this is kind of like the adventures of Kong trying to return to Lady Kong. There is a little bit of just like him walking around for a little bit before he even gets to this town thing.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the big the big problem is like when he which I didn't have as much of a problem with. But the big filler thing is like the, the against the rednecks. Yes. At that one point. Yeah, that that's like the problem area. Or right, because he, like-
0: cause he's just like you see him wading through the water and wading through the river. Eventually, he makes it to this town where he interrupts some some dude and his girlfriend. Um, you know,
1: <laughs> another example of this movie being very horny.
0: Yes, and then you know, and yeah, it's just like even her being like, no. Nah, dan i like i like your your sweet talk (laughs) i like your
1: pillow talk or your sweet talk right but then like you know kong's looking through the skylight
0: and then again the whole town just goes wild like there's just cars screening off the road
1: special shout out to the old geezer who just comes out with like a shotgun and just fire he's like just pointing it at random teens and he just like starts shooting up in the air like who's that guy what's his story that was funny,
0: but then you know the next morning the news is out that Kong has finally been spotted.
1: Yeah, and the hunt One is. One could up. say that the news is out that Kong lives.
0: Yes, he he is continuing to live. The military get there and be like, "What is this deliverance?" Anyway. Side note, because <laughs> side note, because I was listening to another podcast that made this point. Deliverance is like a very hard movie like it's a very it deals with very 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 like oh, hard yeah, yeah, hard yeah. to watch subjects and it's really just become like just a punchline for anything oh, kind of redneck I, I mean
1: not so much anymore but my understanding is it was always the reference for like why you don't want to go into like hill like you know redneck hillbilly territory right like, like there's just you know.
0: There's some very unseemly stuff that happens in that yeah. movie. It, that, that like, like, it's just, yeah. it's just turned itself into a punchline. Yeah. But anyway, all the rednecks are like, we're, we're going Kong hunting today. And eventually we do like, there's like other stuff where it's again, like, you know, Linda Hamilton and, 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 and her crew are like, okay, now we know, no Kong lives. So we got to go find him. And then the military is like, we know Kong lives. So we got to go find him. But who does find him are these rednecks where Kong is walking through like, like a, like a, like a, like a Canyon essentially a Valley and the rednecks, you know, use some TNT and they blow up the side of the mountain of the Canyon. And they basically bury Kong in rocks and he's up to his head in rocks. And they're like, we did it. We got Kong. We're going to be famous. And then they build a bonfire. They start making fun of Kong. They take like pictures in front of him and they start annoying him um, and of course you get the one guy. that's like I'm all for killing this thing, but don't make fun of him. That's not nice. And then Kong basically does eventually break free. He he does same with the same thing he did with the crocodiles. He grabs one of those dudes and just tears him in half. Like literally, just that was him. the bit in the movie where I was like, Jesus! That was I, I had that same reaction. I, I was literally pretty saw, rough. That was like holy crap like kong literally just broke that guy like broke him like a twig another guy he like stomps down like you know he like punches and like stomps down and then the lat like the guy like the leader who was really making fun of him like really like was the real leader of egging kong on he gets grabbed he's trying like to climb up the mountain he gets grabbed kong just eats him just straight up like 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 he's in his hand kong just eats him and then picks the guy's hat out of his teeth. Like, he's just like, ooh, I don't want that. And then finally, like, escapes the rocks. Was- yeah, still, to me, I,
1: I take that over the being torn in half.
0: Yeah, for sure. I would agree. No, so,
1: like, one of, I guess one of my concerns about being eaten by a giant monster is, like, I would be worried, like, that I would still be living on my way down.
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends on... I think the thing is, like, Kong... Kong basically hit him like brain first. So my assumption is I mean, I guess it depends. Like I, I didn't really catch if Kong like swallowed him whole or if he like took a bite. Like if he took a bite, I think it'd be fine. But if he did swallow him whole, then yeah, then you're just like going down this giant like esophagus, just mm. like living. But no, he had to have to bite because he got the, the the hat caught stuck in the teeth. Right, right. Mm. Which at first glance I thought it was the deuce. Skull. So it's like Jesus, but then it was like, no, it's his like camo hat. Right. Um, this is the part where it's like a lot of this stuff starts to really kind of blend together because it's a lot of like, again, like Linda Hamilton and Brian Kerwin like going out and being like, Kong was here. And then the military being like, All right, well, we're getting called. Like, there's still a lot of this that's just kind of like very not memorable. This is what I kind of the problem I had is just like a lot of this stuff is like. They're trying to find Kong, though we do get then like there's a lot of that stuff, but we do get two other scenes of like Kong interfering with regular life, where first one, these two bros are just getting in their very fancy car, their Lamborghini, like and these two bros having a good time. they see Kong, Kong steps on the car, and then the one guy's like, "Oh no, my dad's gonna kill me <laughs> and like It wasn't a great line read. It was not a great line read. And then the other one is that these other four dudes are playing golf. uh, And then they literally just like hit the ball. The guy hits the ball off the tee and the golf ball literally just hits Kong right in the face. And Kong just like brushes it off. And then the other guy's like, oh my God, there's a giant monkey here. Everybody run away. So those are kind of the two scenes that I remembered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's how
1: you knew like what the type of movie it was. It's like, okay, it's going to be the giant monster thing, but it's also going to be just like a, Oh, like, you know, funny jokes and like, you know, the, uh, y- yeah, it, it, some whimsical slapstick a few, elements. A few, a few the, slight
0: whimsical things. So I yeah. probably could have used like maybe one or two, like one or two more beats just to like really kind of like, you know, make it really memorable. Cause again, it's like a lot of this now. It's just like, at some point we find out that Lady Kong is actually pregnant with uh, Kong's child. So they did the deed at one point. Um, And then, you know, that's why she's like not eating. And that's why she's like, you know, missing Kong because like her baby's about to be born. So they help her escape. You know, Kong comes into this military base to like protect his lover. And then like Linda Hamill is like, you can't suit, she's in labor. And John Ashton's like, I don't care. And then Kong, you know, basically the same thing happens as the last movie where Kong basically gets shot up. Uh, and he does eventually like step on John Ashton, but he basically gets killed again. And his heart is like no good, which again is the weird thing where it's like, yeah. Cause earlier, like Linda Hamilton's like, you know, her little box of like her heart fixing box is destroyed. And she's like, well, Kong's on borrowed time now. Like I can't fix his heart. But it really isn't, like, his heart failing at the end of the day that doesn't kill him. It's the fact that the military, like... Yeah, blows it, it doesn't out. really pay
1: play yeah, mm-hmm. pay off at all. I and mean, ultimately, like, what I think you're getting to is that the movie does in some way devolve into military comes and Kong fights them and then dies in the fight. It's really yeah. what it boils down right. to. Right,
0: and, and again, it's just, like, that. there
1: are... Which the, is, like, like, which is kind of, like, a genius thing that this movie does throws the audience off by naming it king kong lives little do they know that at the end
0: he'll die once again (laughs) he does die but I, i think it's a really the thing where it's like again like i said like a lot of that there are like the like the little breaths of like again the rednecks hunting him and like him stepping on the car and the golf course thing but really a lot of this second half of the movie you know, outside of like those great scenes and maybe this ending is a lot of kind of the same thing over and over again. I've actually flipped my script because at the beginning I was like, oh, it actually kind of picks up in the second half. Now I think it's actually kind of a more interesting first half. And it's the second half that like, kind of like all kind of blends together in itself. I really like, I really need to talk about this movie to really get my sense of this. Anyways, as we get to the end, Kong is dying as, his lover, Lady Kong, goes into labor and births Baby Kong. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, again, like, sort of like the, you know, Baby Kong does get to see his father alive for a brief moment. But it's kind of like the whole thing. of just like, as one light is extinguished, another light is lit. And, as and- one life is created, another life is taken away.
1: And, and I have to say that I, I like this bit, and I thought that In the same way where I enjoyed the commitment to showing the Kong relationship earlier, like, I thought that this was very sincerely played. I mean, one thing about this movie in general is that I all felt it was very sincere. mm -hmm. Like, even, and then, like, maybe some of, like, the the slapsticky elements were misguided, but I didn't feel like this movie ever devolved. And even though it was, it is kind of a, a a B movie it doesn't devolve into just being schlock is Mm -hmm. what I felt like yeah
0: I I think the thing is I do think this final scene with Kong is well performed for like (laughs) the suit actors that you know like kind of like the Kong getting a chance to like touch his son before he dies and all that sort of stuff it's it's well performed and I think it does add to the
1: sequence which by the way major credit I know the skipping head a little bit but major credit to uh um the Kongs getting top billing in the credits, in yes. the end credits. I yeah. thought that was I thought that was really cool.
0: Hey, the apes are the stars. Yeah. Uh, but basically, yeah, then the movie ends. That you know the, the Borneo reserve is created. Lady Kong and and Baby Kong live together in peace in the jungles of Borneo. Yeah. And and Baby Kong kind of swings around like Tarzan. And you kind of get the moment where it's like you know lady Kong's like the mother, and she's like you know like scolding her son for like you know playing around horsing around too much, but you know baby Kong's just having a great old time and cut to credits,
1: yep I didn't hate it i I thought it was like listen, it's not great, it's not incredibly engaging, but it did not I did not oppose to it,
0: yeah. I, uh, you, you guys have heard, but my opinion has kind of flipped around a a whole bunch. It really was a movie that like, more so than any other movie in the history of this podcast, it was like the first time I really did not know how to feel about a movie. Mm -hmm. Like it was a movie that like, I really, I think I really had to talk it out to really like understand my criticisms and the things I actually liked about it. And at the end of the day, I think I went into this review being maybe a little too harsh on it. I don't think it's perfect. And by any means, and I'm also very different than you that I think that there's like, I I enjoy little bits of son of Kong more than you do. I think that this movie. Oh yeah. To me, it's not even close. Right. Like I, 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 it's it's, clearly
1: the worst one to me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I, I think that this movie does have some fun, ideas, has some fun scenes and the commitment to the special effects is once again endearing. But I do think at the end of the day for me, just like kind of the lack of real cohesion in its mm-hmm. plot in some ways. And just some of the like, just the little details I'm missing from characters. Just like even less lines or two that really would just kind of get me into these characters a little more. I think there's just kind of like, it, it's fine, really. It's like, it's nothing bad. It's nothing like really bad. Not I would say there. that I, I never really thought it was like terrible but I just no, didn't to, know... It, it's just a movie that's just kind of like, it's just
1: what it, whatever. It's like whatever. I, I definitely understand the something being just fine is a detriment that puts other things above it. Like, I, I definitely understand that. Um, yeah, in, in some ways, this is definitely the straight-to-video Disney sequel of, like, King Kong. Like, because it, it, in many ways, it's like it has some of those similar elements to the first one, just not done as well. Like are done for the cheap. Or done haphazardly, you know. And I know the 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 um the urge is to say cash grab, which in some ways, yes, it is, but like I give too much credit to some of the commitment to the effects and the approach to just la- label it callously, so. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where that's where that's where I stand on it. It, it I least. mean it's definitely lower Kong, 100 percent Oh yeah, no,
0: it's definitely like in that bottom two. But I didn't honestly. I didn't dis I didn't really dislike it at all. It's just a it's like it's um it's a movie. That's really mm-hmm. like I can say it's a it's a motion picture yeah. that I watched and I again, not like the worst thing we've ever watched on this podcast, but you I know. mean
1: it really is funny because while there were some quibbles and it's funny that it seemed like I quibbled more about the one before this. And I probably in retrospect would look at that and like really enjoy it just on face value. But the thing is, the thing being is like from this area, era of seventies, eighties, whatever, that that first Kong is more of like, just watch that one. Cause that one is a much better showcase of everything that this is trying to do. You know what I mean? Yes. Where it's just like the practical suits and like, you know, the dealing with the humans and everything. Um, And that's why I think this one feels like it pales so harshly in comparison. Because even if you think this era of Kong filmmaking is dated, at least the 70s one is a very good polished version of that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because the 70s one, it really does, like, even, like, the little character. Like, I I think that's the thing, though. Because even, uh, like, when I'm talking about the character details, like, even with, with the seventies the Kong, like the Charles Grodin character, like there's just a little bit of like the lip service of just like, okay, he's the guy who is like, not necessarily like the worst or the worst villain, but like he's at, you know, he's up this corporate ladder at this petroleum company and he's trying to like, you know, make a big splash. And then you have like Jeff Bridges, who's just like, you know, he's kind of more interested in the scientific aspect of this, like the history of it. And then becomes like, you know, more engaged in Kong as time goes on. Like just those little details. That's the type of stuff that I'm kind of missing with some of the stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. And no, I think that, I, I, I think it's like, I think it really is like kind of seeing it in comparison to 76 in a movie that really genuinely surprised me. I think this kind of does help lower this. I think that's another like realization that you just made me had. So yeah, no good, good talk, but don't, yeah, don't go out of your way to buy the eBay copies. No, no, I can
1: confidently say that you're not missing anything.
0: Use that money to buy the Shout Factory Blu-ray release of '76. Like, don't. I agree. Don't like if you really want to watch this movie, just find some illegal download somewhere. Like, truly, like it's. Or
1: just look up best of highlight clips and. Yeah, you're not missing
0: anything. Like, because often we'll be
1: like, "Oh, we'll seek it out," and I'm like, "Nah, you don't have to." There's
0: really nothing. Like, if you just search "King Kong lives" on YouTube, there's like nothing about this movie. Like, even Son of Kong, someone uploaded the full movie of that one, at least. Like, this one, there's just, like, nothing out there about this movie, other than people reviewing it, which like we do. Anyways, let's wrap this up. King Kong Lives was very heavily criticized by critics. Basically, nobody liked this movie. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it one star out of four. Some people did still enjoy the special effects. That was generally the one thing that was like, okay, well that's still kind of on the up and up. People still like the Kong suit, but generally speaking, people were not on board with the story. People were not on board with the characters. People are not on board with the pace. People are not on board with pretty much anything of this movie and audiences were not on board with this movie. This movie released on December 19th, 1986, which was around the same time that Kong uh, 76 version released about a decade earlier but was just a huge, huge flop. Uh, Only made $4 million throughout its entire theatrical run. Um, With the exception of the Soviet Union, Uh, King Kong in Russia, I guess, would have been a big hit because (laughs) uh, the Soviet Union was the only place in the world where King Kong Lives made a uh, big, big uh, money, but basically uh, was a big flop. And essentially was already sort of the, uh, the, the writing on the wall was already there in that first year for De DeLaurentis Entertainment Group. They would exist uh, until 1992. And over the years, you know, would help release Evil Dead 2 uh, and also helped co-produce uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But eventually everything that was said about the De Rentas Entertainment Group uh, came true, that it was just a money, you know, money, it was not going to be a money-making endeavor. And eventually they filed for bankruptcy in 1992. And because of stuff like uh, uh, King Kong lives and just that, you know, the De Rentis, you know, er- the era of De Rentis had passed and basically De Rentis couldn't make his own hit to save his life. Mm. Unfortunately. Um, but there is sort of, again, sort of like, this is the Kong film. I, I feel like it's kind of skipped over the most especially because again, already that 76 film is already kind of like lost to time that the fact that there was a sequel to it is, is kind of like, you know, lessened. And it's also the fact that this movie hasn't seen the home video release since 2004, which is the version that I bought from Hollywood Video, eBay, whatever. And you can tell it was a high quality blue, a DVD release when on the back, one of its highlights is like special features, interactive menus, one of the best- one of the best ways to tell, like, that there was no effort put into anything on the DVD, and even the DVD menus aren't that interactive. You literally just, like, there's, it's just all screens. There's nothing on the DVD. I don't know what I'm gonna do with that DVD. I'll have to figure out. I might resell this. I don't know. We'll see. If you wanna, if you wanna buy a copy of, no, King no, or... you
1: gotta keep it. Like, it's, it's like,
0: all right, I'll keep it.
1: I, man, I'll take it off of your hands. Like, if it's like, come on, you, you own a, like. Oh, own your physical media purchases. Even it'll if they're it'll odd be odd and weird.
0: It'll be a great part of the Bonzo Library. Yeah, the movies that I have to own because of come Bonzo. on, man.
1: We gotta we gotta um, you know, we gotta support the physical media, and that means even like archiving the weird stuff too.
0: That is true. This is the type of movie that, like, you know. Right. Again, like the only real way to find it is to buy an eBay copy on DVD. Put it it
1: right next to your DVD copy of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) I guess I would rather rewatch this movie than Amazing Spider-Man 2. (laughs) That was a bad screening, by the way. That's a real story real quick. We were going to like friend bought me Patrick, friend of the Patrick cast. Patrick, (laughs) he bought me Amazing Spider-Man 2 for my birthday one year on DVD, not even the Blu-ray. And we're like, oh, we're going to make, make fun of this movie. Everybody's going to drink and we're going to have a wild time. It was a miserable screening. There was really no fun to be had outside of the friends there. Like of Amazing Spider-Man 2.
1: Yeah, I think the idea was that it was like, like, oh, frivolity and drinks. And, you know, Let, let's riff MST, the movie. MST3K it and it, it really wasn't one of those. Um, but anyway, but yeah, just put it next to that
0: on the on the shelf. That's fair, yeah. Even though it's not on my shelf right now, it's like <laughs> in some box somewhere. All right, that's it for King Kong Lives. I have nothing yeah. else to say. No. Um, next <clears> time, <throat> on the Kong side of things, we are going to get to the a, a major one, a really big one. Uh, we are finally going to talk about the 2005 Peter Jackson remake of King Kong. Yep. Um, and this is going to be very interesting because it is very much a remake of the original, just kind of very expanded shocker. So um, we'll talk a lot about Peter Jackson. We'll talk about the development of the movie and we'll kind of talk about that. Like the place that 2005 has in terms of the King Kong myth and the King Kong legend and the King Kong iconicness. Um, But next time is not a Kong movie. Next time we will be talking about Star Trek uh, and uh, we will see what happens when William Shatner takes the reins on the franchise. Uh, one that I am very excited to see your thoughts on uh, after a string of very interesting movies, all the way from the motion picture to the voyage home. We're going to go once again, as I mentioned, we're going to go find some God out there. We're going to figure out some stuff with God and what does God need with a starship in star Trek five the final frontier can't wait all right let's get our plugs in bonzilla at gmail.com twitter.com slash bonzilla double seven facebook.com slash bonzilla double seven uh like and subscribe itunes and soundcloud i also do want to mention by the way if you remember when we did have patrick on the podcast he was plugging his film threshold which was edited by one william ford conway right here present and- and uh, just as an update for that, guys, Threshold is available on the Arrow streaming service, and you can also get the Arrow Blu-ray release coming up in June. So uh, if Threshold seems your way, if you want to support us and you want to support the, the, the people who make this podcast, go and get you know, your free trial of Arrow or go and buy the, the, the Blu-ray. It's, it's, a, it's a good film and, and a good film to support.
1: I, I have to admit I did not see this plug I was not privy to this plug beforehand so much appreciated uh, Nick that's that's very kind of you um, yeah no it's a it's a it's a great it's a great uh film that uh, friends of the podcast put together um, and also uh, a lot of uh love not only went into the film itself but uh, some behind the scenes features so especially if you know if you want that blu-ray or if you want to go if, they're also on arrow streaming service as well you know arrow streaming service uh i mean arrow's doing a lot of the lord's work i mean it, it's and- not only great that we that the that it was distributed by arrow but also that we share uh a distributing company with uh the friend of all ch- the monster that's a friend of all children uh, Gamera.
0: Yeah, and I think those Gamera films are also on the service, yeah, right? Mm-hmm, yep, they so are. So if you're a Bonzilla fan and you want to get into more Gamera, you know, go get your arrow, watch some Threshold, and then uh, check out a little Gamera.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: All right, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. Well, it's always a treat, and we will see you next time. The Bonzilla podcast lives. Take care. <laughs> Horny son of a bitch.